0: All right, we're going to go ahead and dive in. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James 3. James 3 is going to be our main text this morning. If you missed last week, I want to do a, a little recap. would encourage you to go uh, online, check out the podcast from last week, because what we're doing is we're really building these messages. So we're going to spend the next... We did last week, we started this series. We're going to spend the next four weeks in the book of James. And the way that these messages are structured are to continue to build upon themselves. So we talked last week, right, James is Christianity on street level. So a lot of times you read and we, we preach through or we study different books of the Bible and they kind of hang out up here. They're very theological, which is very important, right, and we kind of dissect those. James really brings a lot of that down to a very practical level. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, we talked last week, he's writing to the Church of the Dispersion, all of these Christians that are experiencing tremendous persecution, they're forced to leave where their home is and to disperse among the nations. And what James is doing and how he opens his letters, he says, consider it joy. Consider it joy. Though you may face trials of various kinds, consider it joy. Because what James recognizes here is that there is a huge task ahead for all of these believers, that as they are going forth, even though it's being driven by all these trials and sufferings and tribulations, that they are carrying with them an important message to take to the world. And so what I love about what James does is he takes Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he takes the book of Proverbs, and he kind of mashes them together and he says, here's what this looks like. Here's how you live these things out. And it's all kind of underneath all of this is the truth that a life that is touched by the love of God is a life that's transformed by the love of God. That when you and I truly encounter the Word of God, when we truly begin to even kind of grasp or understand the love of God, that where that should lead us is transformation. So last week we set up two foundational pillars, and I'm going to remind you guys of these every week because they're so important. And the first one is this, that our Savior is not separated from our suffering. So we said last week, our Savior is not separated from our suffering. And the second one was this, that a Savior equips us Along the way, So two very important foundational principles, that we have a Savior who's not separated from our suffering, and we have a Savior who equips us along the way through the power of his Holy Spirit. Here's why these are extremely important, not just when you're studying the book of James, but as followers of Jesus, this is why these are important. Because if you fail to understand even one of these, if you fail to remind yourself of one of these, then the rest of the word of God becomes extremely frustrating. The rest of God's word becomes confusing. And when you get downright to it, if you forget one of these pillars, when we talk about how to live as followers of Jesus, it becomes downright impossible. Because what happens? What happens if you forget these? The focus then is on you. The focus is on yourself. The focus is on you doing better, becoming better. And so this reminds us that, no, we have a Savior that's not separated from our suffering, that God anticipated the struggles that we're going to go through, and we have a Savior who equips us along the way through the power of His Holy Spirit. Yes, he calls us to a life that resembles the likeness of Jesus. But the transformation that happens is done only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be building onto these now as we continue in this journey. But before we dive in, let's offer our hearts before God in prayer. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' holy name, Amen. I'm sure this comes as no surprise to you, but we live in one of the most digital ages in history. Some of you are shocked, I know, but we live in, the age that we live in right now is called the digital age. I've also heard it called the computer age, uh, the new media age. But I think the term that I've found that describes it best is the information age. We live in the information age. Let me just give you a couple recent facts that I came across. Again, these shouldn't be shocking. But in 2019, they did a study and they saw that a single minute, 60 seconds, on the internet saw the transmission of 188 million emails, 18.1 million texts, and 4.5 million videos viewed on YouTube. In 60 seconds. By 2020, there were 40 times more bytes of data on the internet. And I don't know what that means. So they added this part for people like me. That's more than there are observable stars in the universe. Which seems like a lot. (laughs) And then they said by 2025, this is my favorite one. By 2025, it's estimated that 463 exabytes, hang with me, of data will be created each day. Here's how that translates that's equivalent to creating almost 2.3 million DVDs every day. It's said that our knowledge doubles every 13 months. Back in the 1900s, it was said that knowledge doubles every century. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. We live in the information age. But here's the problem. I believe this and people a whole lot smarter than me would agree. Yes. Knowledge in our society is increasing exponentially, but wisdom seems to be getting less and less, right? Yeah, so some of you were here last week, and I really appreciate what you're doing right now. If you weren't here last week, I said, I need your interaction, all right, I'm going to be up here the next four weeks, all right, so I need you to engage with me. That's insane. It's insane. Come on, somebody. (laughs) This drastic difference, though, has gone too long without our attention. Which is why James says, in James chapter 3, verse 13, he puts this, this question right in the middle of his letter. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? It's a very interesting question. I've been thinking about it a lot this week, and I would encourage you, even now, if, if somebody were to ask you this question, "Hey, who in your life, who in your life would, would you say is wise?" I'm going to show you where my heart went. Do you guys remember Mr. Al from the Tootsie Pop commercials? You know what I'm talking about? So Let me refresh you if you've forgotten. So back in the day, Tootsie Pop ran these commercials. They were brilliant. I loved them. As a kid, I was so excited when they came on. And it followed this kid, right, this cartoon kid who was like, oh, I got a Tootsie Pop. And he wants to figure out how many licks does it take to get to Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop. So he's like, let's go ask Mr. Owl. So he walks into the woods. Where his parents are, I don't know. Walks into the woods, Mr. Owl sitting in the tree, and he says, Mr. Owl, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? <laughs> Let's find out. Right? You remember? And how many was it? Three! He said, a one, a two, three," And then he crunched it, right? Now, silly example, but it tracks. How many of us as kids tried to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop in three? <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I did, and you know what, Mr. Allen knows nothing, right, but I say that to say this, James asked this question that we don't consider because I think we don't truly understand what wisdom is. We don't understand what wisdom is. And so James asks this question that he wants you to grapple with. What he's going to do in this passage that we're going to unpack this morning is he's going to take two types of wisdom, earthly wisdom and godly wisdom, and he's going to put them up next to each other. And the invitation to all of us as we go through this is to not only look at the two next to each other and see how they are different, But to also ask each reader, hey, which one are you leaning into? Which one are you gravitating towards? Which one are you living your life following? So here's what I want to do today. I want to to start, I want to give us two problems of wisdom, and then at the end of the message this morning, I want to give us three practical principles of wisdom. So two problems and three principles. So let's start with the two problems. Problem number one, we've touched on it a little bit already, but problem number one is this we think that knowledge is wisdom. We think that knowledge is wisdom. There are a ton of definitions out there of what wisdom is. I've read so many of them over the last couple weeks, and that's partially the problem. But many of those definitions tend to put wisdom and knowledge on the same level, and I would argue that those are two very different things. Let me explain. Knowledge, I believe, the best definition I came across is this, information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. Knowledge is information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. Wisdom, on the other hand, is knowing what to do with the knowledge that you have gained and how to apply it, and this part's key, to everyday life. Knowledge is information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. Wisdom is knowing what to do with that knowledge and how to apply it to everyday life. Let me give you an example. We've had some family in our town this weekend. My my youngest son's birthday uh, was a couple days ago, and so we've been in town celebrating. And I love when our families get together because we always have the best conversations. And yesterday, we're sitting in my kitchen, and the conversation inevitably turned to something that was, was going to be divisive. And it was, is a zucchini a fruit or a vegetable? <laughs> and I was convinced wholeheartedly because I remember, I don't remember a lot from my, my educational days growing up, but I remember some teacher somewhere in some classroom far away said, if it has seeds in it, it's a fruit. So I said, oh yeah, zucchini, it's a fruit. And everybody looked at me like I was taking crazy pills. Which caused me for a minute to be like, oh, maybe that's not correct. So what do you do? Well, in the information age, you ask Alexa. Right? So I said, Alexa, is a zucchini a fruit or vegetable? And she said, well, it depends on who you are. Here's, here's, here's. Here's what she said. She said, botanically, if you're a botanist, yes, a zucchini is a fruit. Which is all I needed to hear. (laughs) But then she says, if you work in the culinary industry, a zucchini is a vegetable. Which, a little bit complicated the whole situation, but here's, here's, and again, I'm I don't know. The Holy Spirit was really doing something in my life this past week. I have all sorts of examples like this for you guys this morning. So just get ready, okay? But look at it this way Yes, knowledge will tell you that a zucchini is a fruit, but wisdom will tell you how to use it properly. You tracking? Knowledge will tell you, yes, that zucchini is a fruit, but wisdom tells you, don't put it on your fruit salad. <laughs> You're going to mess it up. And if you do that on behalf of all your family that eats it, stop it. <laughs> don't, don't do it any longer, right? Now, there's another definition, though, that we have to be very clear on as we get into this, and that is, what is biblical wisdom? Because it's a little different. And the easiest way that I can say it is this. Biblical wisdom is our capacity to understand life from God's perspective. Biblical wisdom is our capacity to understand life from God's perspective. It's knowing who God has called you to be. It's being willing to be transformed into the image that God so desperately wants to create in you. Remember we said last week that God's ultimate desire is to lead you into the deepest life possible. And so wisdom biblically is the Holy Spirit working in and through us to broaden and continue to grow our capacity to understand every aspect of life, from God's perspective. And remember, James is a dangerous book. And why is it a dangerous book? Because it gets into your business. And let me ask you a question that's going to get right into your business. As you've increased in your knowledge of God, is your biblical wisdom also increasing? Is the way that you live for God increasing and that looks that looks really different for a lot of different ways I give you one practical one really quick many people that I've talked to that that, that I've encountered over the last several years when they're when they're just testing out the waters of faith when they're just beginning to ask questions to show interest in jesus in the gospel story most of them a lot of times will ask where do you start where do you begin and i believe that one of the best places to start when you're in that season is to get into god's word to begin reading his word you want to know about god read his word Now, here's ultimately what you pray is going to happen. That as you get into his word, yes, you may be interested in it, but what you're doing at that point is you're increasing your knowledge of God, which is good. You should do that. But through his word, as you continue to spend time in his word, as you continue to humbly bring your heart to him in his word, what happens? Other things start being created in you as well. the way that you approach his word begins to change. The amount of dedication and priority that you have on his word begins to increase. And what I would argue is that one of the sure signs that biblical wisdom is growing inside you, your capacity to understand life from God's perspective that is growing in you, is when you can stop seeing that as a chore to just gain information from God, and you start seeing it as vital to how you live your life. That's just one example. Like I said, this looks a lot of different ways with a lot of different things in faith. But I would ask you, as as your information, as your knowledge of God is increasing, Do you find that your biblical capacity to understand life from God's perspective is increasing as well? Knowledge and information, while both important, are not the same. Problem number two, real quick. We live and we are wisdom deficient. We typically don't have it. There's an interesting uh, Forbes article that came out uh, about a year ago. And I kind of filed it away because I thought it was interesting because this is something that the secular world has also realized. And they've created a term called wisdom deficiency syndrome. Don't elbow the person next to you right now. But wisdom deficiency syndrome, they, they uh, defined it this way they said it's a highly contagious combination of opinions, emotions, or behaviors that runs rampant in all forms of organizations today. Let me put it another way, wisdom deficiency syndrome is people that have a lot of knowledge but haven't learned what to do with it. So what do they do? They rule it over everybody else. Right? And they broke down, they said, hey, You may struggle with wisdom deficiency syndrome in your organization if you have a bunch of people who have this superiority complex. That they know it all. That they believe that their knowledge encompasses all things. That there's evidence of narcissism and manipulation. These are all symptoms of wisdom deficiency syndrome. But what I love even more about this is this isn't new. James is going to talk about the same thing. Take a look, James chapter 3, verse 14. He says this, he says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. And then listen to these three words. But is. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And there's a lot here. We don't have time to unpack it all, but let me just give you a couple of quick things. And let me give you one more definition. Earthly wisdom, I would say it this way, is a mindset that does not consider God's rule or his purpose for creation. If if you can compare it this way, earthly wisdom, who's at the center? You are. Everything revolves around you. Your achievement, your success, Your dreams, your goals, your vision, and everybody else around you becomes tools to use for you to get to where you want to go. It's earthly wisdom. Biblical wisdom flips it and says, hey, it's not about you. It puts God at the center. It says, no, I want to show you what life looks like from God's perspective. And the hard truth, here's why words... When scripture uses words like demonic, we get a little uncomfortable because in this instance, we know that most of the time we lean on earthly wisdom. That the hard truth for us that we don't like to believe, but that we need to admit in order for God to lead us into the depths of his goodness is that it's earthly wisdom that comes natural to us. That's our default because we live in a broken, sinful world. And we need to recognize that we are wisdom deficient. But the other thing that we need to recognize is this that deficient doesn't mean impossible. We said last week, God has anticipated our struggles, God has also anticipated our deficiencies. What's one of the two pillars that we're building on? God has given us the Holy Spirit to help equip us. A.W. Tozer, who's, who's a theologian that I, I love, he said it this way. He said, biblical wisdom is like a vitamin. He said, it doesn't nourish the body in and of itself. But if it's not present, nothing will nourish your body. A vitamin will make everything else work. So that leads us to a question. How do we get to wisdom? So let me unpack quickly three principles of wisdom. And there are so much more. Again, we don't have time to dive into all of it. I just want to give you three basic principles of wisdom that we see in Scripture. And the first one is this, principle number one, wisdom starts with fearing the Lord. Wisdom starts with fearing the Lord. Now, let me spend just a moment here because my guess is many of us don't really understand what that means. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, remember, James is using Proverbs as one of his primary sources to write his letter, and it says, the fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so scripture talks about this all over the place, about fearing the Lord. But if you don't understand it, it can really throw you off. And the best way that I've heard it explained is this. Fearing the Lord means that we remember that we always have in the front of our mind that God is the creator of all things, as Lord over all things, can do what he wants, when he wants, with who he wants, for whatever purpose he wants. He wants. Let me say that again. Fear of the Lord means that we remember that the Creator of all things can do what He wants, when He wants, with who He wants, for whatever purpose He wants. And if you don't have a right idea of that, what it does is it makes God look like a bully. But what is biblical wisdom? Being able to extend your capacity to understand life from God's perspective. And when you grow in biblical wisdom, you realize that God's purposes are the best purposes that you could ever ask for or imagine. So when God says, I'm going to do what I want with who I want, when I want, where I want, why ever I want, it's because it's the best possible situation that you could ever imagine. And so wisdom starts with fearing the Lord. Principle number two, wisdom grows by receiving God's word. It starts with a fear of the Lord. You understand that God is creator. Everything else is his created. Principle number two is it grows as we continue to receive God's word. Psalm chapter 19 verse 7 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I spend a whole sermon unpacking that verse. But God's word is perfect, it's reviving, it's sure, and it grows wisdom. My love language, uh, a lot of you guys know this about me, is my yard. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, seriously, if you want to, to like be on like the top three of my favorites, and yes, I do have four kids and a wife, but if you want to jump to the top three, just tell me my yard looks awesome. You got it. Diana, I'm sorry, but... But I heard this simple illustration years ago, and I've always clung to it because it makes so much sense to me. It's so simple. And I love simple illustrations. Listen, Jesus used simple illustrations. Jesus took, this is what I love. This is a side piece. I'm going on a tangent, but I've got time, so I can't. <laughs> Jesus took parts of creation to reflect character qualities of God because God created it because God's thumbprints are on it, right? So, track with me here for a second. I was thinking about my yard. Sometimes, especially in the fall, I got to get out there and I got to rake my yard, right? And I can rake the yard in a pretty short amount of time. I don't have a huge yard, don't have a ton of trees, and so not a lot of time, not a lot of energy, and then it's done pretty quickly. Raking your yard is like simply reading scripture, okay? Okay? Sometimes that's what you need. You just need to get into God's word quickly, to be reminded of who he is, right? It's reviving to the soul, and you just need just a moment. And that's wonderful. But you shouldn't stop there. Sometimes you got to get out into the yard And I've got to to do some work. I got two dogs. My dogs like to dig. Sometimes I got to get up there. I got to to put some dirt in. I got to sprinkle some seed around. I got to really love that area of my yard. And it's a little, little more time, it's a little more taxing. And sometimes that's how you need to approach God's word. Is you need to spend a little more time in it. You need to to do a little bit more serious study. You need to get in it. You need to to dig through things, ask some really important questions. And then sometimes you really gotta do some work. (laughs) A couple years ago, my wife and I we decided, you know what, we've got some bushes that we just we don't want anymore. So you gotta take out some bushes. And then you realize, we've got to put up some, some pavers, and, and we've got to do some, some serious work around the front to make it all look good. And it's hot, and it's hard, and it takes several days to accomplish. And sometimes that's how you need to approach God's Word. Is you need to say, listen, no, I, I really need to carve out some time to sit with Jesus in His Word. To allow his spirit to do some of the hard things in my life, to confront me, to spend some time repenting in his word, confessing in his word. And it's hard. But then there are some times when all the work is done that you get these moments where it's like sitting on your front porch, looking out at your awesome yard. You're like, man, I'm really glad I put in that work. I'm really glad I carved out that time. And friends, I would argue that our approach in receiving God's word is much the same. That you need all of those different elements. Something that you always run to knowing that the Holy Spirit is doing this mighty work in your life. But it's up to you to give the time to it. Sometimes a moment, sometimes longer. And then you cherish those moments where you see the Holy Spirit working through you as a result. Last principle, principle number three is James tells us that wisdom requires that we ask for it specifically. If we go back to James chapter 1 for just a second, remember how James opens it. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds. Then his next section in that, again, not a coincidence, is he says this, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubt, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We'll hit on the doubt part in just a second, but I I really want you to understand something here real quick. Yes you should pray, God, help me to grow in wisdom. God, through your spirit, take this knowledge I know of you and help me grow in my capacity to understand life as a result. But what James is also communicating here, what he understood is actually something extremely significant that we've kind of touched on here and there, but just to say it very explicitly, wisdom is a person and his name is Jesus. Wisdom is a person. Friends, the best news that I have for you all morning is that. Wisdom is a person. It's not an outline. It's not a level of righteousness that that grace won't be necessary anymore. It's not your hope that one day you'll grow to a place where you can say, I have achieved biblical wisdom. It's not a theology. Wisdom is a person whose name is Jesus. And your hope in life, your hope in life is not that someday you get it right. Your hope in life is not that someday you'll, you'll reach this place where everything will make sense. Your your hope in life is one thing, and that's a generous God who's willing and eager and desires to give good gifts to his children. And one of those good gifts is wisdom, and he gave it to us through Jesus. I'll say it this way. Godly wisdom is a product of God's nearness. Godly wisdom is a product of God's nearness. Then James talks about doubt. And sometimes you read that and and you may misread it. It may instantly fill you with like this guilt and shame because, and I'll, I'll just say it for everybody, all of us have had moments of doubt. We've had moments where we've struggled, but what James is not saying here is that the moment you doubt, God refuses to be generous to you. That's not what he's saying. What he's talking about is when we try to live in earthly wisdom while saying that we remain loyal to godly wisdom. When we say that, yes, We want God's will to happen in our life. But the reality is, no, we still believe God is just part of the life that revolves around us. A translation for this that's actually helpful is a translation double-minded. Other translations will say uh, the one who is double-souled. It's this picture of trying to, to have allegiance to two different sides. And James says, you're nothing but somebody that's tossed around back and forth like you're in the sea. And so how do we ask for wisdom? My first answer would be we surrender our desire for it to be about all, all about us. We confess that we want it to be all about us. And we confess that sometimes, and maybe for me the majority of the time, I have to confess that I usually try to believe that my plan is better than God's plan, that I can see things from a better perspective than what God can see things through. And so James says, if you want to be wise, ask God for wisdom, knowing that ultimately what God's going to do is he's going to continue to show you Jesus. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, and the Lord in his goodness and in his generosity will show you the very heart of Christ. Let's pray. God and Father, we come to you this morning, God, with humility God with with hearts that God we know need work that need to be refined but God we also come with the great promise of comfort that you've told us that you will work in us that you will refine us, that you will, through your spirit, make us perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So God, this morning, I pray for each and every one of us. God, that in this moment, that you would show us, God, where in our lives have we just made it about us? Where in our lives have we succumbed to this lifestyle that we know about you and that's good enough. And God, I pray that through your spirit you would move us to a place that longs to be transformed by you. That even through the messiness, through the pain, God, that we can know that ultimately you will take that messiness and that pain and you will use it for the greatest purpose that we could ever imagine. So God, we do as your word says. We ask for wisdom. God, continue to show us Jesus and his heart, his love for us all. In his holy name we pray, amen.